You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. This is Luke Vanderlinden. I'm the Vice President of Membership and Marketing for the Retail and Hospitality Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and this is the RHISAC Podcast. I'm joined by our podcast producer, Natalie Paskuski. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Luke. It's great to be here because we're excited. This is the first episode that's publicly available for all to enjoy on the major podcast platforms. That's right. We're going to try to produce two new episodes a month with some great interviews with our members, as well as segments featuring a rotating cast of subject matter experts sharing threat intelligence, industry trends, and behind-the-scenes info on RHISEC membership and events. Unfortunately, Luke, it probably won't be you and me every episode. We're also going to rotate our hosts to get their thoughts on what's going on. You'll hear from our president, Susie Squire, and our VP of Intel Operations, Brian Hunley, and others. Well then, let's get started, Natalie. In this episode, Julia Hare, Editor-in-Chief of Rethink Retail, sits down with Courtney Radke of Fortinet and Diane Brown of Ulta Beauty, as well as our own Brian Hundley, to discuss trends from the RHISEC's 2021 CISO Benchmark Report. You'll hear some of the top initiatives CISOs are prioritizing in 2022, as well as advice from Courtney on how to improve your security posture by training your people and leveraging technology. So let's turn it over to Julia to kick things off. Thank you everyone for joining today. I am Julia Hare, Editor-in-Chief of Rethink Retail, a leading media outlet covering D2C and retail trends. And joining me today, we have the CISO from Fortinet, the CISO from Ulta Beauty, and a VP from RHISAC. We're together discussing some of the trends from the RHISAC annual benchmark report. And this is where they look into some of the top security trends and risks from retailers, as well as what some of their plans are for the year. So happy to dive into that with each of you. And I will let you guys go ahead and give a quick introduction. We can start with Diane and then Brian and Courtney. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm very excited to be on this panel today. My name is Diane Brown, and I'm the VP of IT Risk Management at Ulta Beauty. And I've been at Ulta Beauty now, it'll be 14 years in April. And it's, you know, from the security perspective, it's been a whirlwind journey. 14 years ago, security was not as it is today. And as it's growing, conversations like this and, you know, the organizations like the RHISAC are so important to security professionals to have that opportunity to share this information. So thank you very much for this opportunity, Julia. I'm Brian Hundley. I'm the Vice President of Intel Operations with the RHISAC. I'm actually a newbie at the RHISAC, so I just came on to the organization back in October. However, my background is in cyber defense, so think, you know, threat intelligence, incident response, vulnerability management, threat hunting, security engineering, and those areas. And working with the RHISAC is interesting because we work with such a a wide breadth of different organizations and the intelligence and the collaboration that comes in really gives us, I guess, a a unique perspective on the threats that uh, impact our membership. So very happy to be here and be part of this panel. Yeah, and I'm uh, Courtney Radke. I'm the field CISO for retail here at Fortinet. We're a global cybersecurity company and I focus, uh, my role focuses on retail, uh, supporting retailers, all shapes and sizes. And uh, prior to Fortinet, I've been here a little over two years now, I was in the retail industry. So for the last 10 plus years in the retail industry, last stop was in the quick service restaurant industry. So 
I agree. 10, 15 years ago, security looked completely different. So it's a continuously moving target. And I'm, I'm happy to kind of talk about what some of those challenges are that retailers are facing today. Diane, Courtney, Brian, it's great to have all three of you on the call today from all different angles. Uh, I'll start with you, Brian. From the RHI SAC perspective, what were some of the top risks that you uncovered in this report? Oh, my goodness. You know, so some of the top risks that are on top of the mind for our members are cloud security, ransomware, third-party risk, and then a, a grouping of phishing, business email compromise, and malware. So it's almost like the usual suspects for 2020, 2021, and now 2022, right? Are there any other security risks that you're hearing from your customers, Courtney? Is a lot of the same of what Brian just mentioned? <laughs> yeah, it's the broken record, right? It's a lot of the same. It's it's ransomware. It's where are they going with their cloud strategy? The, the who's on first of the shared responsibility model there. Application security, we're seeing you know, a, a prevalence of botnet attacks. Um, so on mobile and loyalty apps, a lot of organizations think they just had a, a you know a record year where people signing up for their mobile and loyalty. It's not people, it's, it's bots, right? They're trying to scrape information, get to where the money is and that's the data. And a lot of that comes from that third-party risk as well. So a lot of organizations had to pivot quickly over the last couple of years. They've made a lot of partnerships, some great, some didn't have standards in security. And so they're trying to unravel the, this web of where's my security risk based on what I have you know, deployed internally and then who I've made my partnerships with. So we've seen basically the same ones. And I think what, what's important to note is it seems like the same type of risk. There's kind of two camps. It's one, the advanced ones, the threats that are continuing to evolve, the ones that we have to keep up with. They're using the same tools, you know, that, that, that we use, you know, the AI and machine learning to, to get into the networks in new and exciting ways. But there's also the, the same old, the known knowns that they're just reusing the same techniques that have been used for quite some time because they're very successful and it's very lucrative. So we're seeing that we're seeing uh, customers, you know, facing all of those same challenges. I think a lot of it comes down to, and as we'll touch on this, you know, throughout this uh, theme is, is people. They're attacking people mm -hmm. um, because that's the number one threat vector. And so I think as we kind of talk through this and what are some of the mitigation strategies, it's number one is people. Train the people. Have, have them understand where the risk is and make sure that they know that they're a core and integral part of the process. Training people is huge. And it seems like there's, you said, advanced threats and the known threats. Would you say that either category tends to be more dangerous? Is the Are the advanced threats that are coming out surprising you? Uh, some of them are. Like, again, the, the speed at which they can create them. Because ransomware, some of these things, it's a business. Anybody can spin up a ransomware campaign if they just jump online and download a package. It's it's ransomware as a service now. There, there's really these conglomerates of companies coming together to say, let's create the best package out there and spread it far and wide or create targeted attacks. I think, however, though, the known known attacks, the ones that we feel that we're confident that we're protecting against, that they change just a little bit and slip past your defenses, those may be just as damaging. Mm -hmm. I think that the key here is whether it's a known attack that's been used before in a known vector or it's a new and advanced attack, how quickly can you identify it in your network, the dwell time, which can be the most damaging? And then how far did it spread before you knew? I think that's really the most important thing, not what the attack is, but how far did it go and how long was it on the network? Mm -hmm. And how long did it go undiscovered? Diane, from a retailer perspective, obviously Ulta Beauty, huge 
successful, loved by all of your consumers. So lots of data, as Courtney said, for them to want to steal. Have you guys experienced threats like we're talking about? How how are you guys making so yes, yeah, and, and to tag on to what Courtney said, it's the people process and technology. There's a ton of good technologies out there, but it just takes one person to click on one phishing email and provide credentials, especially if they're an admin or something like that, to make them that ransomware risk kick in. And so, you know, we've been focusing a lot on, you know, making sure we have good technologies in place and also trying to build out our security ambassadors trying to find people throughout the organization that can help us spread the word and, you know, help us when we have zero days and different types of phishing things to get that information out there because it just takes one person, literally one person. And, you know, we all run our phishing campaigns and we're like, oh yeah, we only had 3% click. Well, 3% of 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. (laughs) Sounds really small in numbers, but there's such an effect on that. And it's evident for us because of our pen test. Every time they get in on our pen test, well, after we're on the inside, it's because they escalated privileges because they guessed somebody's password. And it's so hard to sometimes, you know, trying to tell that story about why you should do this and why it's important to the organization is sometimes it's challenging. So that's why we're trying to really start this ambassador program where we can get people excited about it and more people to understand the potential risks and it's like, it's a challenge. You know, like I said, I, I agree with the top four that were on the RHI stack that matches up exactly. I just presented to the audit committee this week and those are the same four were my top four. So it's it's very common, you know, what Courtney and Brian said that that's the things that are happening in the world and we have the technologies in place, but how do we get better at the people and the process side of it? Because to your point, you know, they're on your network, you know, the dwell time is you don't know how long. Well, if you have good processes in place that are monitoring and alerting on these types of things, then that's going to help you reduce that time. Yeah, so it, it's it's a fun game. I mean, it's a game. It's a business for the bad guys, and it's a business for us. Just like we have to learn our internal business, we need to know the business of the hackers, too. We need to know how they operate, what they do, and things like that in order then to try to stay even. I don't know if we'll ever get ahead of them, but at least we need to try to stay even with them, with some of their technology, especially. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have to be on the defense and offense at the same time probably easier said than done. When you talk about security ambassadors, is this a newer concept that you guys are rolling out? Has it been around a while? And is it difficult from a human resources perspective to get people to to want to be part of that? There are um, a number of companies today that do it very well. They have security ninja programs. That's our biggest struggle right now is to figure out what do we want to call it? You know, What will be something that will get people excited and want to become part of it? And it's pretty obvious when you build relationships across the organization, that's why those are so important, is you get to know who are the security-minded people across the company, and then we just glam onto them. We're just like, okay, you need to be my new best friend. You know, you and I are going to work together. If I have a project, I'm going to include you on it and try to get you on there. Because if you can get these people that will then in their meetings talk about it, and help present this information, I think that is what's so important because it doesn't matter how big your team is, how much online training you have people do. If it's a 10-minute course, 10 minutes later, they're off on and something else, and they've totally forgotten what you said. And how do you keep that front of mind all the time? And that's why trying to do it through the relationships we have across the organization is what we have found has been the easiest to work. I haven't gotten to the HR side of it yet to see how they feel about all of this. They know that we're working on it, but I'm excited for the progress we're making. 
And we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned, though, because when we come back, Brian is going to share the top three initiatives CISOs identified in our benchmark survey. And Courtney discusses the one thing he would like to see companies stop doing when it comes to cybersecurity. Stick around. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Brian, I'm going to pass this to you. What were some of, say, the top three identified initiatives that retailers are focusing on in 2022 as it relates back to the report and study? So definitely ransomware resilience planning. I mean, with the rise and the focus of ransomware over the last few years, that's definitely top of mind, especially, you know, the ability to defend and respond to ransomware. And then you've got security for hybrid cloud and on-prem environments. I mean, cloud is on top of mind for all of our CISOs and organizations, especially as they're they're going through this digital transformation process. And then you look at, you know, after COVID, you've got, you know, employees who are working remotely, right? So we're getting that hybrid cloud environment, which makes it much more challenging to secure because that attack surface has just grown tremendously. Then you got vulnerability management, right? That's another area that we've seen, you know, the vulnerabilities since we'll say solar winds and just prior to solar winds have just really been a thorn in our CISO sides when it comes to securing the environment just because of the criticality of those environments, right? I'd like to throw two more in there, and that's zero trust architecture and then application security because they're so closely tied to um, the initiatives that our CISOs had. And that's all important, especially when it comes to like ransomware defense, right? And that ability to secure the identities within your environment and then shore up those vulnerabilities, hopefully prevent the attackers from getting in. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to actually pass this to Courtney real quick, because the based on what Brian was saying and the great point you brought up about the security risks from the trend of remote work that stemmed out of the pandemic were retailers that you work with prepared for that? I mean, whether that's either the corporate folks working from home or even customer service and the new programs that were so quickly rolled out? I don't think initially a lot of them were, right? They, they had existing technologies, whether it was VPN or something else, but they found that uh, their users wanted to be more agile. They wanted to have access to technology, SaaS applications, and uh, the, the barrier that was in place just, just from a, a VPN or something else was a little too much in some of those cases. But they got around it or they got through it. And I think by now they've had their plans in place, whether it's VPN or whether it's something else. I, I think a little bit caught off guard, but a lot of them had existing technologies that they could leverage and they didn't even know it. And they used those or in, in this industry, there's a lot of technology out there. There's a lot of partners to help get through some of these things. 
I think what it you know shined a light on and what, what I always subscribe to is this mantra of operational do no harm, meaning security shouldn't be looking for places to say no. It should be looking for places to say yes and, and move the business forward, innovate it, whether that's for the business directly for the consumers or whether that's for the business and their employees. So looking for avenues to just remove friction, whether that's in the buying process or whether that's in users getting access to SaaS applications or other applications on the network securely. So I think they've moved into that now. They want to make sure that whatever plan they have in place, because work from anywhere is not going away, that they don't have to treat their employees' home offices as coffee shops anymore. I think that really speaks a lot to this zero trust methodology. And it's an architecture, it's a framework, it's not a technology. As one of my colleagues say, you can't go out and buy the Acme Zero Trust Firewall. It's not out there. It's principles of architectures and different technologies coming together to make sure that you're protecting the people, the devices and applications, no matter where they are, no matter what network they are, and continuously evaluating their security posture. That's where we're going to. That operational do no harm that I just talked about seemed like that was counterintuitive to zero trust. It was a hard thing to implement over the last several years, but I think we've really gotten into this, this sweet spot We're now moving into a zero trust methodology, this architecture, even if it's just a Lego block moving into that piece at a time, I think it's actually possible now. And so what what I see is a lot of organizations moving to that, moving into if they had VPN without MFA, they're putting an MFA. If they had MFA, now they're trying to move to passwordless authentication, both for customers uh, and for their employees. So they're just trying to make better what they already had and then move into hopefully that zero trust methodology. But what I wanted to also talk about here a little bit is what I didn't see on that initiatives. And we, we just spoke about it a little bit ago, people, right? The training should be really number one up there. And I think if, if you move training to number one and zero trust to number two, we'll find that it's going to take care of a lot of those challenges underneath that, the risk management, the vulnerability management, a lot of those things are going to be solved by ensuring that your people are trained up and that cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility. And then that zero trust methodology, just protecting the entire ecosystem from users, devices, and applications everywhere. Mm -hmm. Great points, Courtney. Uh, It's all about the people. And it sounds like even though some things are counterintuitive, there's a a huge foundation that comes into play when you're talking about the zero trust architecture. Diane, I'm going to pass this to you. In addition to some of the things we just mentioned, the, the hybrid cloud environment and the other initiatives that Brian brought up, are these ringing true for you at Ulta Beauty? So the cloud, of course, is one of the challenges I think most of us face it just depends upon what cloud you go into. And, and, and for some of us who are in multi-cloud environments, and how do you take your tools that your team knows and loves and expand them out? Because certain cloud players have their own set of tools they prefer that you use. And how do we constantly keep the people knowledgeable about these tools and know how to use the tools and how to take what the findings are and you know remediate the findings and things like that? So you know, I, I totally agree with Courtney on the whole people issue is tell people, if I could just get rid of the people, our, our company would be really safe. You know? <laughs> I don't have to worry about anybody's account getting hacked and anything happening. If you can just get, you know, get, rid, get rid of the people on the internet, life's good for us. But you know, that's not reality. That's not the future. And so how do you make it easier for people? And how do you deliver, like you said, the idea behind the cloud is you can be more agile, you can you know, have more um, innovation ideas going through. But how do you do that, but give them guardrails to operate in. And that's one of the things we're focusing on now is, okay, we know you need to do this. We know you want to do that. That's the, you know, the, one of the advantages of the cloud, but we have to be able to do it securely. And I think having, once again, getting back to those relationships and those conversations, we're building out our relationships with our innovation teams 
to say, okay, what works for you? Courtney's point, I don't want to always say no. Sometimes I have to say no, (laughs) but how do you say, okay, we know you want to do this. We know you want to do this. We think this would be the best way for you to do it. Does that work for you? And try to go at it from that perspective versus the no, but everybody says, y'all say no, but, or yes, and, and all that. But how do we actually do it so that it's fruitful for both sides? And then I don't have my security team, my cloud team coming to me in a panic saying, you're not going to believe what they just did. And you're like, well, did you let them? Well, yeah, then, okay, I do believe they just did it. Because if you let them, they'll do it. (laughs) If you don't put something in to stop people, you know, they will do it. So um, I think that's one of the challenges. I agree 100% that training, that focus and getting people just having that security mindset from the very beginning is just so imperative. With all of the responsibility on your shoulders as the CISO for Ultra Beauty, would you say the number one initiative ties back to the people in process that you just mentioned? Or is there something else that you would say is your number one? You know, as Courtney says, it should be number one. Is it number one? Um, from a training perspective, no, but from a constantly trying to be in front of them, we do a lot of going to people's team meetings and talking to them and explaining to them. We try to do a lot of things like we put on the report phishing button in email to make it easy for people to report phishing. And that actually was for something as small as that, it made such a difference. Otherwise, people would email me and then I'd email the team. And, you know, it was wasn't very efficient to do this. But now they can send an email to this email box. It's all automated. It goes in and says, OK, is this a bad email? Is this a good email? It checks it out and then it goes out and everybody responds back and says, yep, this is good. No, this is bad. Thank you. And then we automatically pull it out of everybody's mailboxes. So it's things like that, that if you can make security easy for people, then they're more willing to do it. Just like this year, one of the things we're going to be doing is increasing our password length. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, why would you do that? Well, if I do that, according to the pen testers, we can go down to changing your password once a year. I did preliminary surveys because it's all about the socialization and getting everybody excited and I'm bored with it. You know, I went to the executives and I said, if you had to only change your password once a year, could you come up with a 16 character password? And they're like, okay, where do I sign up? <laughs> because with BYOD devices and your laptops, trying to synchronize your passwords every 90 days when you change them becomes very painful for people. And, you know, we're not to the point yet where we can go passwordless, but, you know, that's something in the future that we, you know, we think about. But it's how do you make things easy? Somebody told me once is how do you serve chocolate with your kale? Okay, not everybody likes kale. (laughs) And so how do you make it so you can just put that little piece of chocolate on that kale and people will think, wow, this isn't so bad. I get a piece of chocolate with this too. And so that's kind of how we try to think about things is we know we need to do it, but how do you make it so that people are more excited about it versus they roll their eyes every time you walk into a room or on a team's meeting? They're like, oh, no, not them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that makes total sense, especially from a efficiency standpoint. If I could stop changing my password every 90 days, that would be amazing. There you um, go. <laughs> Courtney, hearing this from Diane, is there anything else you would add to that that retailers should start doing this year? You know, I think what they should start doing, and it kind of went into what Diane talked about, is within the organization, there's people that like one cloud platform or another, whether it's tools that they have or the knowledge that they have in programming in one or just building what they want in a specific cloud environment. But we know that most organizations are not in one cloud environment. In fact, most organizations are in multiple cloud environments. So I think one thing that needs to 
to start doing, and we're already seeing that, is looking for this kind of abstraction layer that the development, the innovation, all of that stuff can happen on whatever cloud you're on, but above that, the network and security should be across all of them. So it should be one network and security policy, configuration, service across all of them, and those do exist. So I think what that's doing is it's removing that no, right? You've already built your security policies. You've built your network policies above all of the clouds. And now you've just freed up your teams to innovate, to move quickly, to do that, you know, CICD type environments where security has controls in place. They have visibility in place. So they never have to come to the table and say, no, they can say, why did you do that? Because I see everything across every cloud, but they don't ever have to say no. So I think Retailers more often now are moving into this platform approach. A product or a tool that solves just one challenge does just that. That problem and it doesn't have really a long-term benefit. But when you move into this type of platform approach, which has a lot of integrations and enables a lot of automation throughout the environment, that's where we're starting to see retailers move. So I think from a cloud perspective, that multi-cloud security and networking is key, but that that's really across any part of the retailer's environment truly subscribing to a platform. We often say that retailers are either leveraging a platform, becoming a platform themselves, or maintaining status quo. And we all know in retail, maintaining status quo doesn't last for very long. So a platform approach to networking security, I think is one thing that retailers need to, uh, they already are, but start doing more of. Very good. So the platform approach, the multi-cloud security, are there any things that retailers should stop doing that they for some reason, keep doing that you're seeing from the client side? Yeah, I think we've talked about it a lot here. And, you know, when it's the people process and technology, and often when an issue occurs or risk is looked at, it's often looked at as the technology. Well, it's moving so fast. We're having to implement it so quickly. We're having to do all of these things. It's not the technology. You need the technology. Technology is what's making your business run. It's it's the revenue generator. So stop looking at technology as the line item or the cost center and the problem. It's really the people. And if you fix the people, that will fix the process. And then the technology just works for itself. So I think treating technology truly as that revenue generator, making sure that you're investing in your people that understand the technology and then fixing the processes, you know, across the board. That's where I think where we need to go. And, and we are. Organizations know that they haven't been able to pivot over the last couple of years without technology. It's not just happened with hamsters running on wheels. It's everything running behind the scenes from multi-cloud to IoT, all of the omni-channel experiences that runs on solid infrastructure and all the way up into the cloud environment. That's not going to change. It's going to keep moving. So we need to continue to focus on the people, fixing the process and treating technology as that revenue generator. Excellent. Well said, Courtney, and you, Diane, as well, and Brian. This was a great discussion around the RHISAC report findings and diving a little deeper into it, as well as the trends for this year. It was great having all three of you on this discussion today, and I hope that we can do this sometime again. Thank you, Julia. It was a pleasure. And Courtney and Brian, thank you very much. I learned a lot today. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a fantastic conversation, and you saw me nodding my head quite a bit, and I was in complete agreement with everything everybody was saying. It was outstanding. I could give a big amen for that and a hand clap, so thank you for having me. Yeah, same. You know, I, I don't like hearing that the risks are all still out there, but I do like seeing that there's a lot of focus on fixing them out there. So thank you to, to Diane, Brian and Julia for being here today. And I just appreciate the time to, to share my insights and, and learn from, from all of you on here. Likewise. Until next time. Well, I think you'll agree that that was a great discussion. Thank you to Julia and our panel guests. 
Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the RHI SAC podcast. But before you go, subscribe to the podcast to get alerts when new episodes are available, like March's upcoming episode celebrating women in cybersecurity for Women's History Month. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there.